everyone, and welcome back to our podcast, Interruptions. For those of you who are listening for the first time, we call our podcast Interruptions because we believe that there is a time between an incident or something occurring and your reaction. We call that time in between the interruption time. And we at Workplace Learning and Professional Development believe that if you have the appropriate tools to use during that interruption, that's when the magic can happen. So today I have three guests that I'm super excited to chat with about an interruption around this idea of onboarding. So before we go too much further, I'd love to welcome our guests and have them tell us a little bit about who they are. So Caitlin, would you like to go first? Sure. Hi everyone, my name is Caitlin Voorhees. I work at Georgia Tech as the facilities coordinator for campus recreation. I've been here, just finished my first year, July 1st, 2018 was my first day. So. Excited to be here, talk a little bit about my experience, some of observations I've made for other people's experiences too. Thank you. And Susan? Hello everyone, my name is Susan Lewis and I am the HR business partner and I'm currently supporting the GT Athletics. I've been at Georgia Tech, let's see, it will be two years next month. Hello. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank (laughs) you. I'm very excited, been in HR for about over 15 years. So um, definitely familiar with the onboarding process and how it can be a benefit to any organization. And Brian? And I'm Brian Harbour. I'm a member of Workplace Learning and Professional Development. My anniversary, my two-year anniversary is this month. <laughs> um, so welcome to both of us. Yeah. <laughs> All three of y'all. One, yeah. two, eight. I feel like the old yeah. head in the room. <laughs> So onboarding has been something that anecdotally having conversations with new employees as they come through our new employee experience sessions, um, you hear positives, you hear negatives. And so just thought it was a good opportunity to chat about that. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening, one of the reasons why we thought it'd be interesting to talk about this topic is because we read a couple of articles of which I will link in the podcast that really talk about onboarding, orientation, different ways of talking about it. But the articles really suggest that getting this right makes or breaks sort of the experience for employees. So before we go um, much further, Season, do you want to tell us a little bit about sort of your perspective on onboarding? Well, I do believe that onboarding is a key component of any new employee's experience within an organization, and it really can make or break that employee's experience, how they're acclimated into the organization, and whether or not they buy into the culture, and also the new opportunity that they've been presented with. Got you. So it's interesting, right? So workplace learning and professional development is the team that's responsible for all the professional development for faculty and staff members on campus. And one of the things that we do is run a new employee experience program. Brian is one of the lead facilitators in that program. And before, when we were when we were developing it, a lot of research talks about the difference between an onboarding program and an orientation. So just for us to be on the same playing field as we talk about it, we believe that orientation is an element of onboarding. So you'll hear us talk about Welcome to Tech. We really think that's like our orientation program. But the reason why we call it a new employee experience is because it's ongoing and we believe onboarding is ongoing. So Brian, tell us a little bit about sort of your context and what how you feel about this concept of onboarding. Sure. So in getting to interact with new employees through Welcome to Tech session that's part of the overall new employee experience, 
you do get to hear about the positives and the negatives, the challenges. So the person that said, you know, the moment they got here, it was the most welcoming experience they've ever had. Everybody knew they were coming. The, their workspace was ready to go. They had the supplies they needed. Amazing experience. And so our um, Welcome to Tech session just adds to that positive experience. So now they get to learn, learn about their work area and now they get to learn about the organization that they're working for. Then there are individuals who share that, you know, nobody knew they were coming except for their manager. Maybe they didn't know where to park. They didn't know who to report to. They didn't know physically where to go. They go to their, their work site. They, they're in a cubicle. They pull a drawer out to put something in it. There's a rotten banana in it. <laughs> rotten banana. Um, oh, my God. You know, that's been there for <laughs> who knows how long. There's dust all over their, the stuff that's in their workspace. Um, and so that just sets the tone for, well, do they know what, were they expecting me? Do they want me here? Like, what's going on? Um, so having those conversations, it's starting to realize, okay, well, where does onboarding start? You know, you could look at it as going all the way back to the moment that a job is posted. You start having people submit applications. What is that experience like? Once you start being asked to come in for an in-person interview, that also shapes part of your experience. If you ultimately are the candidate that is selected, um, so from that moment that you start having those interactions of the job offer, the first day you get there, anything that might happen in between emails you get, communication or phone calls that you get, all that plays a part in your onboarding experience. And then how long does that go for? You know, So how long do you consider onboarding to need to happen or when is it done, quote unquote done? Is it that first week? That's what some people think about. Oh, onboarding is just filling out my paperwork or onboarding is just going to the orientation session. And when that's done, then click it's over. And we could say, you know, it lasts for six months, it lasts for a year. Um, depending upon the type of position, you could say it lasts longer. So there's a lot of elements that go into onboarding that people don't always consider. Yeah. So I thought it would be interesting for people listening to this podcast to maybe hear from someone who had recently gone through an onboarding experience and has assured us that she will tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly <laughs> in between. So that's why I like to bring Caitlin into the conversation. So First question is, were you excited to come work at Georgia Tech? Yes. Why? A couple different reasons. Um, I have a little bit of a link with Atlanta and the fact that I'm from Florida, uh, went to undergrad in Florida, went to grad school in South Carolina, so I was kind of slowly making my way around the South, could be close to home without being too close, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. My grandparents, when my grandfather was stationed at Fort McPherson, um, they lived in Atlanta, so I had a little bit of a connection to Georgia Tech and Atlanta um, before even coming here, applying for the job. But one cool experience was that when I was in grad school, I was part of a regional committee through NURSA, which is Leaders in Collegiate Recreation, and we had our pre-conference for students at the rec center at Georgia Tech. So I already knew the facility pretty well, had been there a couple times, and so walking in through the doors, even for my interview, like you were saying, kind of the onboarding process, it, it kind of felt like home already. Mm -hmm. I already was familiar with it. It wasn't as like intimidating or scary as some of the other on-campus interviews that I'd had. Right. So... Yeah, I was, I was definitely excited, yeah. still excited. I mean, my job, we were talking about earlier, is, you know, ever-changing. Each day is completely different. It always keeps me on my toes. Yeah. So one thing for managers or people that are hiring folks want to be aware of is, one, typically people are excited, right? There's a brand that your company might have. Georgia Tech has a great brand in the community. People want to come and work here. You know, you think of the Turners and the Chick-fil-A's and all these other employers of choice in the area. So, one, you feel like you have a leg up because we have this like desire to be here. <laughs> this is a draw, right? Yes. And so then, Kaylin, what happens 
when you get here? What happened for you? What was your experience when you got the offer and you showed up for your first day? Yeah, so I had a unique experience with mine where uh, my supervisor wasn't here for the first week and a half. It just, it was happenstance where he was out of town on family vacation. Luckily, really great resources within our department to be able to set me up for success in that initial onboarding. It's funny because I feel like even a year later, people always talk about parking. So I remember that being my first thing when I got to campus was like, okay, I know I need to park in this parking lot. Do I have to pay? They said they're giving me a voucher. I'm just gonna go through and do it. And so, you know, when I first got in, told the person at the desk, which now I know is member services, <laughs> at the time did not. <laughs> and the, the first person that met me was our HR coordinator to be mm-hmm. able to make sure all my papers were set up. She walked me over to HR, everything like that. So it's usually, you know, that first day is the paperwork and mm-hmm. things like that. And so it was comforting knowing that someone was with me in that process and walking me over. Yeah, that parking man still gets me now. Exactly. (laughs) So it's interesting because seven years ago when I first joined tech, one of the biggest complaints that when we were starting to talk to people about new employee experience and what we wanted to do was that they didn't know about parking. We're on a college campus in the middle of Midtown, for those of you who are listening in the context. They didn't know where to park. They also didn't know that they had to pay to park. Um, And so we try now to correct that to make sure that people understand, one, you know, before you accept the offer, you might want to know that parking is not cheap. But also, too, like as a new employee, where to go, where to go on your first day, where to park and things like that and not get your car towed or (laughs) ticket on your car first day. So that goes to... In the article that we are referencing, it comes from Fast Company. They say that there are three C's to onboarding, and the first one is compliance. So you kind of talked about that. It's the paperwork. It's making sure that basically the institute is protected from you doing something crazy. That's Latrice's spin on compliance. Right? I'm sure there's surely a more technical way to describe that. Season you might want. She over here rolling her eyes like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we offer a great federal and state guidelines. <laughs> See, I told you it was a better way to say it. <laughs> it's new hire compliance mm-hmm. and learning. So they mm-hmm. it sets you up for I understand the com- the confines of, of how I need to work. Yeah. And um, I need to show my what do you have to do? You have to go show your your driver's license for your I nine verification, like all of these things that have to absolutely have to happen. And one of the things through an uh, onboarding process, particularly from a learning lens, is we're trying to explain to people why they need to do that and to sort of make it engaging, right? Because there's one thing to have compliance related stuff that you have to do, and you're just going through the motions and checking the box and doing it. But we're really after making sure that your behavior aligns with what it is that we're talking about, so that we don't run into problems in the future. So while I make light of it, compliance is a very important part of onboarding. Did you want to say something else to that season? Clean well, it up a little bit more. <laughs> I did want to add that for communicating with new employees to an organization before their first day is so key in their seamless transition. And it does not matter whether it is someone's first job or they've been in the workforce for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Depending on the companies for which they previously worked, they may not have known or had that seamless onboarding Mm -hmm. for their prior relationship. So ensuring that clear communication is very detailed and that they understand, as you said, the why behind it Mm -hmm. is very key. So I think with most things, it does come down to communication, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) yeah. So the first C was compliance. The second C they talked about is clarification. Clarifying where to go, what time to be there, Anything <laughs> anything that needs to be sort of clarified, right? So when I think about 
hiring and what are sort of the expectations and how do I clarify as a part of onboarding, the things that come to mind for me tend to be more tactical, right? And it tends to be things that we believe working from an institute level should be handled at the department level. But if the department is thinking that we're handling it at an institute level when there's no communication between the two, sometimes things fall through the crack. And so that is instrumental reason why Brian took up the reins on his project. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Brian? Sure. So again, through anecdotal conversations with new employees, I was hearing you know differences in experience. Some having the most amazing experience they said they've ever had at any organization where others are saying, I didn't hit the ground running in a positive way. So I engaged multiple HR leaders across campus, including Season, <laughs> in order to start looking at how can we create a more of a consistent onboarding process. And then it just so happened that that came out as an institute need with the comprehensive administrative review. We worked together over the course of many months to identify all those tasks that need to be completed either during the job offer process, before the person even shows up on the first day, and then what needs to happen once they get here. So the day one, first week, things that happen in the first month, first three months, first six months. If you have a probationary period review, probationary period as part of your position, then getting you through that first six months, and then what happens after that? How do you get integrated into other things after that? So the idea is that we lay out these necessary tasks that in most cases are already being done by somebody. It's just that they maybe haven't been laid out in the way in which we've wanted to lay them out to make sure that nothing gets missed, that depending upon whether you're in the school of design or mechanical engineering or a staff member somewhere, all get the same experience regardless. So are we looking though, Brian, for sameness? Not sameness, just consistency. So as long as things are getting done and things are getting missed that are to the detriment of that new employee and to the detriment of their department and to their their hiring manager, as long as things are getting completed and done that are necessary to help set up the employee for success. And of course, we talked about those things that absolutely have to get done, but just making sure that there's that consistency from one area to the next, but not necessarily that everyone has to do it exactly the same. Yeah, because that, I mean, I think the high level 1000 degree view, looking at that from just any organization that you're in, if you're have... I don't want to say silos, but if you have various different organizational units, so once we've oriented you to like the place, the space, the institute level stuff, then what we're looking at is you go into one unit, nobody knows you're coming and you don't have a computer, and you go into another unit and they have everything laid out, goodies and you know, athletic department, swag, swag, you know, <laughs> swag and all that. So then you're looking around like, well, what? Well, that didn't happen for me, right? And so, yeah. Season. Well, I was going to say, especially when those employees then come together as new, mm-hmm. new to the organization right. and new employee experience, yeah. that orientation piece. Yeah. And they start to share stories. Absolutely. And then you start to hear the differences in their experience. Yeah. One thing I wanted to add is that when Brian reached out initially about the project that he was initiating, I was all about being participating, mainly because in past organizations I have had that negative onboarding experience. So I do believe that it should be that process where employees are incredibly engaged and ready to go when they get here. And I do think that that experience would help with that, with not having those missing pieces. Mm -hmm. It's also an opportunity to capitalize on that excitement because I'm going to tell you something. When new employees come, they're super excited, but they're going to meet 
the employees that have been here for a while. And I don't care how great your organization is. There's going to be some naysayers, some people like, ah, you know what I mean? <laughs> so if you capitalize on that excitement and you create an onboarding experience where people are happy and they get their questions answered and they know who to go to to ask questions of and they don't feel lost, then they don't get taken down that negative hole so easily, right? So that's why onboarding, in my opinion, is super important. Also, the article suggests that we lose employees in the first six months because of the fact that, not solely, but to some degree, that the onboarding process was not as seamless as it could have been. And that goes back to what you were saying, Brian, from the time they applied for the job all the way through, right? So it's a really, really important element. Anything else you want to add, Caitlin, about your experience up until the point where you went into your department? I was going to say, one thing that was really helpful for me is I'm the kind of person that, like, you know, if you send me a couple emails with, like, three or four PDFs or information, I might look for, through it real quick, and then, like, that week before, I'm going to be, like, scanning it through. And mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about like, excitement, like, I think of myself of when I was coming here, I was moving to Atlanta, I was starting a new job, you know, trying to figure out things just on the base level of, okay, like, I'm going to have a paycheck coming soon, like, groceries, like, budgets, mm-hmm. like, everything. And so... It's like, you know, your job's such a huge part of your life, but it's also such like, it's just another piece of everything else that's mm-hmm. happening. And so being prepared with all those tools when you start off in the very beginning is really what's going to make or break because someone says like, what I work with, a lot of times we spend more time at work than we do with our own families. Mm-hmm. You know, I go home, I hang with my dog for a little, little bit and I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so that you know, how you're feeling at the very beginning and whether you're feeling on an island or you have like a group of people around you really does make the experience worthwhile. Um, Absolutely. So the third C is culture. First two, compliance, clarification. Third one is culture. So I feel like well, I, I might be a little biased because I was going to say, I feel like we do because our team is responsible kind of for that from an institute level. But we also know that each department has its own unique organizational culture and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. But I think we do a good job of orienting them to the vision, the mission. Pretty much if you come into an institution of higher education, you know it's about students, right? But <laughs> or sometimes we forget because we don't really uh, work I think with there students. are yeah. some positions where it's real easy to forget. Mm-hmm. And we do stress that and we talk about that, that that's what we're here for. But absolutely, there's in our roles, because we intentionally reach out to do student-facing activities, but it can be very easy for us in our roles as staff members who don't directly impact students to forget about that, quote-unquote forget yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about culture, particularly higher education culture, season? Well, I've been in higher ed for probably, ooh, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So when I came to tech, what I have found is that each organization that I have supported, it's interesting that the first task I was given was to find a good onboarding process. Mm. So they also saw that there was a need or some change that needed to occur Mm. for their own organizations to onboarding those new employees. Mm -hmm. And I think in one respect, that in itself shows that the organization does care Mm -hmm. about their culture Mm -hmm. and ensuring that that employee is integrated properly and appropriately to Mm. their unit. I think that, as you said, we're here and it's all about the students. But to be able to communicate to that new staff member who may be in accounting, Mm -hmm. how their role actually impacts the larger college or school Mm -hmm. to help 
do what they need to do, whether it's faculty, supporting the graduate students or student assistants, those types of things, that it's forgotten sometimes that the staff members are that foundation mm -hmm. in order to help the institute become successful and yeah. developing those leaders. So culture is definitely very important. Mm -hmm. And if you don't try your best to design your culture, mm -hmm. you may not like the default culture that gets in place. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. actually make a point to develop it. Right. Yeah. And we tell employees all the time, go in questioning, understand, try to understand what the culture is, right? Mm -hmm. So that then you can make decisions on how you react to situations, what are you asking for. Don't be a new employee coming in asking to work from home on the first day and you don't even know if the culture even supports that. So on both sides, there's some give and take in understanding and learning the culture. And then the fourth one is connection. I think this is the biggest one, but it, it has taken me, it took me probably a good five, eight years into my career to understand how important connection in the workplace is, right? So starting out, I'm like, eh, I go to work, I do my thing, I got stuff on the outside. I don't necessarily have to have connection on the inside. But like Caitlin was saying, is we spend more time here than anywhere, right? And so we're always trying to figure out how do we create an atmosphere, I guess is the best way to say it, where connection can can happen. Have you found any unique ways, Caitlin, to create connection on it's campus? It's funny because uh, we were talking about strengths earlier. Mm -hmm. Significance is my number one. Uh. And so for that, it's the work that I do and I need to find important to myself and kind of why I do what I do. And for students, that's my way of developing students mm -hmm. is why are you working here? What are you getting out of this? What transferable skills? How is this going to set you up for success later on? Because as much as I'd love for my students to want to go into collegiate recreation, I know that they're going to be the next engineers and doctors mm -hmm. and you know finding cures for diseases that we might not even know about now. So for me, connection is huge. I have a student staff of about 100 students that mm -hmm. I directly oversee. And so with that, it sometimes creates a unique challenge mm -hmm. in the sense that you know, some of them I see all the time. Like, I have two student managers that work, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week. I see them almost every day. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I, I might have one student that works a solid six hours a week on the weekends, and so I'm not seeing them as much. So it's finding ways to be able to connect with people. Even if we talked about communication earlier, putting things out in weekly emails and doing small things. Like our last meeting that we had for the summer, we did a potluck. Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't have to do anything big. Like, if you can't cook, bring plates just so that they feel like, for us, you know, the CRC is more than just, quote, unquote, a gym mm -hmm. or a part-time job, but somewhere where they can find community, I think it is, is really big. Yeah. Any thoughts about connection, Susan? Well, one of my strengths actually is connectedness. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Look at y'all with this strength language. Yes, uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, and it's odd being um, working within the HR space because a lot of times it is processing a lot and thinking about that organizational structure and how it needs to move and change and trying to help deliver training to help give those soft skills to leaders and those types of things. And I think that part of the connection that I found in my current unit within athletics is looking for ways to meet the mission and the vision for athletics. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, because I don't, my role doesn't have that constant student facing, mm -hmm. is to partner with other areas, mm -hmm. like academics, for instance, to help them because they have leadership training, things of that nature that I would be able to, um, add, there's some value add from mm -hmm. the HR space in that area mm -hmm. just to, to help and reinforce and um, help to develop those students. So 
I think that when staff members get engaged more within their organization, not just within their small space, mm-hmm. they see this much larger community that they are a part of, mm-hmm. and it allows them, and they can see more opportunities to stay, yeah. where they can start to extend their tenure at that organization because they are so engaged. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the new employee experience series that you all have developed is a great way for them to even connect on campus mm-hmm. with others in different areas that they may not have even known was there. Yeah. Terms that are used like seismic. I was like, what, what? is that? Mm-hmm. Right, right. I'm like, I've never heard that before. That's in the term it. Of uh, a, yeah. <laughs> it's always... You know, I'm one of those two. It's also learner. Mm-hmm. So it's always trying to find something new. And I think those are the areas that staff members coming to such a diverse community mm-hmm. that Georgia Tech has. It's just the opportunity is there. Mm-hmm. It's available to them if they yeah. just go seize it. Yeah. And that's the unique thing about when we say we go back to the previous C culture. On an institution of higher learning, you have a lot more opportunity for connection and community building than you might at a place where you're working remotely and you never go into an office. For us, it's like balancing it. Brian is the king of connectedness, let's yes. just say. So, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on connectedness? Well, I, I think some of the things that we've been doing as a team, our workplace learning and professional development team, that I have been super exciting over the last... 18 months or longer is this idea that you know we've had standalone things before you have individual courses you can come take a course and then never see us again but we are taking our programming and sort of shifting it taking it to the next level looking at it differently so that we are trying to engage the same people in different pieces so that you do come back and creating this idea of of leadership fluency or management fluency or just culture fluency, whatever you want, however you want to look at it, so that we are sharing the same message in different spaces and in different ways, so that we're building that level of community and connectedness, and also sharing other opportunities. So to Latrice's point, there's so many things that you can do on campus to be engaged. Whether you are student-facing or not, there are ways to get engaged with students. There are so many other ways you can engage with your fellow staff members and, and faculty members. It's easy, you know, and I tell people when, we, when they start a new employee experience, the welcome to tech session, obviously you want to get to know your job well. You want to feel like your managers um, trust you, that you can do what you need to do, and that you have a good handle on it. But once you have, feel like you have that down, then it's an opportunity to start expanding your sphere on campus. So what organizations can I get involved in? What volunteer opportunities can I get involved in? And we share that with them. And when we created the campus learning directory, that was the goal to share with people, hey, look at all these things you have available to you, whether it's for your own personal development or for you to help others be developed. So I think that adds to that connectedness and that community. Yeah, I think this is all great stuff. One of the things that I do know for sure is it is expensive to hire. (laughs) In higher education, we typically don't look at things so much at dollars and cents. But in our critical behavior interviewing class, we break down how much it costs to hire someone because we never do it alone. So it's typically by committee. So that's three or four people's salary for time four. Is yeah, time <laughs> is money, right? And so if you get it right on the onset, you have sort of a way to save some money. Because if someone comes, they don't feel connected, they don't really know where they're supposed to do, they're not clear about their roles, they haven't done all the compliance stuff, they don't know the culture, they don't know how to connect in with people, then people, that's when people tend to leave. And so then we got to start the process all over again. So for those of you who are managers or engaging and listening to this podcast, I think that is something to consider, right? For us, what we learned is that there's a ton of things to support all four of these C's already in motion 
on campus. We didn't have to re we didn't have to invent much of anything. We just pulled it together. So I bet if you look around your organization, there are already employee resources groups. There are probably already things that you can do to, that people can connect into. There's already compliance training. You already know the things that people have to do. It's just putting it in a way that people understand and feel as if you care about them. And I also think that managers have to realize what a vital role they play into ensuring that that new employee has the tools and the resources available to them to do their job, but also in communicating their expectations. Mm -hmm. What I have seen here at Tech is that when clear expectations are not established and an individual comes in and has applied for this role and it's what is told to them later on is that that's not really their job, they're not, they haven't bought into the right thing. They're, I came here for this, but it turns out to be that. Yeah. And you can have quick turnover mm -hmm. in that respect. So managers play a vital role to ensure that here are my clear expectations. Here is, here is your responsibilities, your duties. Let's talk. Let's meet. Let's see where we may be missing something in your development and your training. Yeah. But they pay, play such a key role in ensuring that employee, one, buys in, two, performs well, mm -hmm. and is successful. Yeah, cool. The final thing that we'll wrap up on is there's this article that will also be linked in the podcast. It says how leaders can onboard the hearts and minds mm -hmm. of their new people. And it sounds kind of Pollyanna when you read it, right? Like <laughs> hearts and minds. But really, you know, when I think about the best jobs that I've ever had, it was jobs where I felt like truly engaged from a heart level and, you know, challenged from a mind level. And so I feel like that's the, um, the, the North Star that we're shooting for. And onboarding begins that process and gives us something to be a guidepost, something for us to check in to see where we're doing well and where we're not doing well and where we can go back and like revisit and clean stuff up before we get a resignation letter. So as we wrap up, any final thoughts, Brian, about onboarding versus orientation or anything that we've talked about to close out the discussion? I think season hit this the concept that it's the manager plays such an important role. That's not to say that our managers on campus aren't doing that or aren't right. thinking about it that way. But I think there are those individuals who think of it, okay, well, I got you here. I got you over to HR to sign your paperwork. Now get to work. Yeah. That's it, right? Now we're celebrating. Right. I'm done. I got this person hired. The vacancy's been out there for a while. Our, you know, my other team members have been frustrated because there isn't a, bo a warm body. Mm -hmm. So I got you here and you're done. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so many other pieces that we touched on today that speak to, you know, there's, it's a continuous process. It could go for a, up to a year, potentially, to, you know, depending upon all the kinds of ins and outs of that job. But there's so many other elements that go into making sure that somebody understands what their role is, understands the culture they're working in, knows what those performance expectations are, and are constantly communicating with their manager. Their manager is constantly communicating with the employee, both ways, really, to make sure that everybody's on the right path and the right track, and that there are no surprises at that six-month probationary period mark where, oh my goodness, this isn't going to work out, a new employee, and the new employee had no clue. But I think there's just so many elements. The manager has such a key role in that. Yeah. I mean, just making sure that happens. I think linking back to that article, just like something as simple as just the encouragement of the manager being someone that you can go to on a good day and like celebrate things and someone that if you're having a bad day, you can go to if you're not feeling well, that is understanding and kind of understands some of that, like that human component of like, you know, you go in, if you're salaried, you work at least 40 hours a week, but also understands of like, you know, you've, you've had a rough day take a moment and then, you know, get back to work and you're just like, cool, I'll take my moment and we get to go. So I think that someone who's kind of 
doesn't forget that human side mm-hmm. of things as much as they're managing the employee side of things. Awesome. So us here at the Workplace Learning and Professional Development, we said kind of in the beginning that we have a new employee experience, which lasts the first six months of an employee's life cycle, primarily because we have a six month, most of our employees arrive and have a six-month probationary period, and we are here to walk hand-in-hand with the employees through that and also to connect them to other employees that are going through the exact same thing that they are. That's what New Employee Experience does. Brian has also created a great resource that folks in the departments can use, checklists of sorts, to make sure that they are getting what they need um, in the department level, and departments that elect to use it tend to be successful, and those that don't, you know, what might happen. Not anything mandatory, but it is a resource that we have here on campus. And if anybody listening is interested in any of those resources, please, our contact information is in the podcast. So reach out to us. And then finally, I'll give our HR business partner cleanup duties so that she can clean up anything that we said that might not be, you know, HR compliant. I I think we're good. This has been an absolutely awesome discussion. Um, I think that the experience shared as well as the knowledge in this room has conveyed what we really need to make sure that managers are doing, new employees get what they need in order to be successful when they join. So that excitement continues. Thank you all so very much. For those of you who are listening, you've just been interrupted. So if you have new employees coming on board, feel empowered to read these articles, to listen to this podcast and create an experience that they won't forget. Hearts and minds. Everybody clear? Clear. Clear. Over and out. Thank you so much.